Well, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from our Lord God and Savior and His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm one of those people who sometimes wakes up in the middle of the night and can't help himself from thinking about lots of different things. It's not that I'm always thinking of profound things or I'm deeply pondering the universe or something like that, but sometimes it's just about life and things that are happening in life. And, and sometimes we, we think about, you know, what is God doing in different things and what is God doing in our world and how is this world going? So with this onset of this election, I can't help but think about the future, asking questions like, what will life be like in 5, 10, or 50 years? How will the world change? What will be different? What kind of joys will I experience? What kind of sorrows? How does my faith work in all of this? And how do I think about the future in light of the gospel, in light of the magnitude of God? And usually the more serious of these questions drive me to think and to pray and to ask for more perspective. So as we enter into this new church year, it's not uncommon to find people looking for perspective. You find people contemplating what has happened in the last year and wondering about what will come in the next year going forward. Today we're going to look at a passage dripping all over with perspective. It's perspective that will shape how we think about and how we approach our world. Today we're going to look at Colossians in, in chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, and, and just kind of see what happens there that Paul likes to talk about. As we look at Colossians, we need to remember and think about it as if Paul is writing this letter to defend the gospel by celebrating and proclaiming the gospel joyously and with great spectacle. Paul does not hold back one bit. In the early verses, he explains how the gospel has been growing all over the world. He explains that the gospel was about redemption and that those who in faith receive the gospel are heirs of the kingdom and they are free of this world and all its trappings. He calls them to live in light of the gospel, to live righteous lives. You see, the Colossians were being challenged in their perspective. And Paul writes to keep them oriented in the right direction by giving them perspective from the one who gives the good news. Listen to the words he writes. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have the first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, 
having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So the first point of news is that Jesus is good news for all of creation. He is the image of the invisible God. Right off from the start, this passage declares something most magnificent. Jesus is the image. Jesus is the representation of the invisible God. The text very boldly unites the Son and the Father together, leaving no doubt that in Jesus we saw God. Where once God had only been known in clouds and voices and shadows and backsides, now he is known as the person of Jesus the Christ. This is phenomenal. So here's the perspective. God is not distant. He's not impersonal, but rather he is Emmanuel, God with us. Not as some cosmic force or essence, but as a person whom we can know. One whom we can relate with. The Father has shown us himself through his Son. This is amazing. In Christ, we know God. Think about that for a second. God has, in his great mercy, come to us, down to us, to be known through him as his son, Jesus. Verse 15 continues and goes on to say even more. He is the firstborn of all creation. Like in a Hebrew family, the firstborn position was one of honor and authority. And God spoke of David this way also in Psalm 89. To say that Jesus is the firstborn of creation is to say that Jesus holds a position of honor and authority over all of creation. And verse 16 quickly moves to tell us why Jesus receives this honor and authority. It says, for by him all things were made. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation because he called all things into being. All things. Not just some. All. There is nothing that was created that he did not make. And to leave no doubt, the text gives clarity by saying both the things in heaven and the things on earth. And again, so that no one misses the point, both the visible and the invisible. This passage is declaring firmly and boldly that Jesus was the one who created all things, both the visible and visible, physical and spiritual, everything. Every single thing. The end of verse 16 brings the perspective into sharp focus with a stroke of application by saying, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, it is likely that the text here is referring to angelic beings in all four of these categories giving a sort of list of lower to higher beings. The point is that there was no spirit or power or being that would be able to overpower or dominate or take control or be stronger than the Lord Jesus, who is the Christ. Jesus Christ is supreme over all. There are no powers which do not and will not bow down to him. There is no power, whether on earth or in heaven, whether visible or invisible, who will rule over Jesus. Whether a Christian lives in a free country or not, they are free to worship and serve Jesus because he is Lord. He is supreme. 
There is no created power who will tell Jesus what he can or cannot do. Verse 16 concludes that all creation is not only made through him, but for him. All of creation finds its purpose in Jesus Christ. There is nothing created that exists unto itself for itself. There is no unequal duality in the created universe. Both visible and invisible find a purpose in him. Here the walls come down. There is no sacred. There is no secular. Everything is for Jesus. Everything. And though some things are set apart for special purposes, those things are not somehow inherently more righteous. All things find their end, their purpose, their goal in Christ Jesus. Jesus has made both the physical and the spiritual that they may worship and serve him. Now this has some good application to us in our lives as we go out and talk about our thankfulness for the things that we have done and for the things that God has allowed us done. This means that when we go out and we mow our lawns or at this time rake our leaves, right? Shovel our drives maybe in a few weeks, get our mail, sleep, eat, change our clothes, pay our bills, gather to worship, preach, teach, listen to the gospel. We do them for Christ as it was all created for him. Paul keeps this perspective when later in the letter he says in in chapter 317, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. It's a beautiful thing to know that as we go about our daily life, our daily grind, we are not simply bidding our time, but serving the Lord. With Jesus, we are able to worship and serve him all day, every day, amidst everything that we do. Whether we are consciously thinking about him or singing to him or not, when we do the work that he has put before us, that be helping patients, balancing budgets, cleaning toilets, writing papers, serving clients, changing diapers, teaching students, bagging, bagging groceries, all of it is for Jesus and is done in service to him. All is created by Jesus and for Jesus, and there is no created one greater than him. Everything we do, every part of our day, is for him. After all, he created it. He created us. He created what we do. So verse 17, like a good overture or poem, returns to a previous theme to again celebrate that Jesus was not created, but he was indeed before all things. And it adds to this theme by stating that not only was Jesus before all things, and not only did he create all things, But he says that in him all things hold together. Literally, he keeps things from going poof, from disappearing, from going away. He keeps things together. 
So even as we do our daily tasks, the life that God has asked us to do, he holds that all together. He helps us, he guides us, and he holds that in his hands so that chaos does not ensue. Jesus keeps evil from overtaking the world and Jesus prevails in bringing his kingdom and his redemption. This perspective is ultimately reassuring for us in a world that seems as if it is often on the brink of chaos and destruction. Jesus holds it all together. As the gospel said today, there is nothing to worry about. For what good does worrying do? The birds do not toil about. The grasses and the flowers do not create their own clothes. God made them for them, just as he has created us for the goals and the purposes for which he has. And he has created us even as we are fallen to be his instruments, to be his word and his gospel to the people of the world around us. Friends, Jesus is good news for all creation. He keeps it all in his hands and has given us salvation through him even as the world is in its darkest state. We still have the good news that he is the one that died for us and lives eternal life. In his holy and precious name we pray, amen.